Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, he shall be forgiven. On Friday evening, October the 14th, 2011, my wife, Catherine, crumpled into a ball on the floor, writhing in pain without cause or without warning. We didn't know what to make of the event, if it was serious or not, so we made the decision to continue on with our plans for the next day, traveling to Starkville to watch the Bulldogs play the South Carolina Gamecocks. While at the game, again, she crumpled unable to stand or speak. So gathering our children, I rushed us to the car, headed home towards Laurel and to the doctor. In the car, this happened three more times. Catherine spent several days in the hospital, hooked up to machinery, and it was determined or diagnosed that she had epilepsy. Several seizures recorded, and she began anti-seizure medication. Unfortunately, the medicine did little good. Numerous seizures continued during the month. New medicines were tried. New medicines failed. Combinations of medicines were tried. Combinations of medicines failed. Now, the anti-seizure medications themselves had a tremendous and terrible side effect, rendering Catherine almost unable to function normally. She had to resign her employment can no longer drive, and the day-to-day -day duties of a mother and a wife became great acts of valor in her medicated and seizing state. After four or five failed attempts with different medications, Catherine was sent to or referred to the epilepsy clinic at the University Medical Center in Jackson. There she spent a week hooked up to machines and stayed under constant video monitoring in the effort to pinpoint the exact part of her brain causing seizures. The head neurologist recommended for Catherine a temporal lobectomy to treat the seizures. That is to say, after failing so many medicines, he felt her only real course of treatment was to remove the offending part of her brain, a part about the size of a baseball, in the hopes of stopping these seizures. Scared, we got a second opinion at the University of Alabama in Birmingham's epilepsy clinic, and the doctors there said very much the same thing. Catherine's only real course of action was surgery. Throughout the following weeks and months, things did not get better. Seizures, weekly, monthly, daily. The harsh effects of the medications crippling her. It was an extremely discouraging time in our life. One of the few bright spots in these months, I will say this stronger, the only bright spot in these months, the only thing that held our family together during this time 
was this parish. The love, the food, the rides, helping us to make ends meet, and more than any of that, the love and prayers of you all, our family. Without you, we would have been lost indeed. Fast forward a bit, four days before our youth group, our EYC, was to leave for our much-anticipated trip pilgrimage to Santiago, the youth group Catherine leads one of the few things she stubbornly refused to put down during this crippling time. Catherine had a medicine-induced breakdown. I'd come home for lunch to find her in a very bad way, very hypermanic, shaking like she had Parkinson's disease, rapidly repeating her words and unable to finish her sentences, uncontrollably scratching her head and running around in circles in the attempt to control her body. The seizure medicine had fried the circuitry in her brain. So we rushed her to the hospital. She was given a heavy sedative and the doctor in charge of her care worked tirelessly to rid her body of the seizure medicine. She spent two days in the hospital before the levels of medicine were down to a tolerable level. Now, to the shock of some, to the horror and disbelief of others, the doctor had a talk with Catherine and decided it would be best if she went ahead and went on the pilgrimage. And to tell the truth, his decision disturbed me deeply. I could not fathom, I could not believe that after all the trauma she had just been through and in the condition she was, he recommended she get on a plane, fly halfway across the world, and walk 85 miles. His only real directive was that I say a prayer for him at the tomb of St. James. And so, all 26 of us, we all set out the day after Catherine was released from the hospital. What I now share with you is my experience alone of our pilgrimage, not anyone else's. The words I speak are mine, not anyone else's. The perspective unique to me and a thing I have not shared with many. So we get to Spain and arrive in Madrid. I was overwrought, my soul crushed with worry. I was utterly and completely exhausted. I couldn't sleep despite my best efforts in two Advil PMs. So just before four o'clock in the morning, I got out of bed, got dressed, and wandered the streets of Madrid alone. Among, I remember, the drunkards and the prostitutes, searching for a church or someplace to offer a prayer, to beg God for mercy. Finding none, I wandered around in a sleepy haze, every breath a prayer that I had not made the worst decision in my entire life. Now, the next few days were a blur of tourism, cathedrals, palaces, museums, bus rides, walks. At one point, I almost broke down from it all myself. The worry over my wife, my children separated from us by half the, or by the Atlantic Ocean, my own exhaustion and being ultimately responsible for 26 souls. On the day we started our walk, I hadn't slept but four of the last 48 hours. I was not filled with the exhilaration and awe and wonder as was most of our group. Rather, worry overwhelmed me. 
With every step, I could only offer the ancient prayer of the Orthodox Christians. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The first day's walk brought with it some sense of peace, but at a cost. I began to develop huge blisters under the ball pads of my feet, and that night only got three hours of sleep. Adding to my already existing worry, several members of our group developed stomach flu. They could not continue on, so early in the morning plans had to be made, and our trust in strangers and in a strange land had to increase substantially. Throughout the second day's journey, I prayed as I walked, and walked as I prayed. Each step, the blisters getting larger, the exhaustion weighing more heavily. That night, others fell sick to the stomach flu, including Catherine. Already about spent with worry about her condition, it doubled. Again, sleep evaded me. I spent the nighttime hours caring for her and trying to care for the others who were sick. So that third day, I stumbled blindly down the Camino, feet bleeding, exhausted, separated through sickness from my wife and many in the group, only three things keeping me going. A sense of duty and responsibility to the group, a dear friend who refused to leave me behind, and a vow to God that I would make the pilgrimage. That night brought new difficulties of its own. I began to shiver uncontrollably from lack of sleep, exhaustion, and the pain of walking on damaged feet. The last and final day found me barely able to stand. The pain in my feet causing, or the, the damage to my feet causing searing pain and waves of nausea to shoot through my body with every step. Although the temperature was in the mid-50s, by the end of the first mile I was drenched with sweat from the pains of walking. Twice that morning I'd vomited from the pain, and at one point I sat down determined to quit. Even though we were less than five miles from the cathedral, a short walk, a stroll, if you will, from finishing, I could not take one more step. Two dear friends this time refused to leave my side. If I was not to finish, neither were they. So not wanting to disappoint them, I summoned up every single ounce of courage and will I had within me, and I hobbled to the cathedral. Every step searing pain, Every step, something inside screaming, stop! Something screaming, it's not worth it, quit! We arrived at the cathedral to a great crowd, and that was all a blur to me. Seems like immediately we were swept into the pilgrim's mass, of which I remember nothing other than the giant swinging thurible. After the pilgrim's mass, we did what we'd come to do. We stood in line to visit the tomb of the great and holy James. There were hundreds in line with us. It felt more like a ride at Disney World than waiting to see one of the apostles. We moved with the line, and in a flash we were down the steps in the tomb. We hurriedly said prayers, and just as quickly we were out the other side. There were no fireworks. There were no angelic choirs. There were no lightning bolts. There was no objective certainty to be had. I was disappointed by the visit to the tomb after so much. 
It seemed, in some ways, ordinary. Not at all life-changing, rushed and forced. So after our own private mass later that afternoon, I took the free time and hobbled back to St. James' tomb, hoping for silence and a quiet moment at the tomb of a man who had once walked and ministered with our Lord. But I found the exact same thing I found the first time. Hundreds and hundreds of people hoping and praying to catch a glimpse of the tomb of this great saint. Hundreds and hundreds of people with hundreds and hundreds of prayers and intentions, all hoping for the same as I, a moment alone with James, which none of us would be granted. Taking my turn, knelt before James. I prayed first for this parish. I prayed that my wife Catherine would be healed. I prayed for folks by name who had asked me to pray for them. And of course, I said a prayer for the pious doctor. And with that, I pushed through with the line. I felt a peace that, that afternoon, a reverence. I felt the holiness of that place, but no fireworks, no blinding light, no objective certainty as to the future of anything. But I had done what I said I would do. I led the group. I made the pilgrimage. I offered to God my prayers. I asked the great St. James to pray for my intentions. We made it home safely. In a mere two weeks after returning from pilgrimage, Catherine had a pre-scheduled week-long test at the University of Alabama, uh, Alabama and Birmingham's epilepsy clinic to continue on toward surgery. During that week, she was taken completely off seizure medication. She was sleep deprived. She was subjected to visual and audio stimulation. The doctors did every single thing they could to induce a seizure and nothing happened. Despite their best efforts to produce seizures and map them for surgery, nothing happened. Catherine, who had been averaging seizures weekly and monthly for the better part of a year, has not had a single seizure since returning from Santiago, since visiting the tomb of the great and the noble saint. Her medicines have been more than cut in half, no seizures. Although she's still under the care of the pious doctor and still has some issues with which to contend, she has been free of seizures since our pilgrimage. So I humbly stand before you today declaring that there are places in this world that are holy, that are, in terms of faith, extraordinary. I stand before you today with the proposition that there are people, both living and dead, who possess a faith that is extraordinary, that possess a holiness few will ever attain in this world. And in these places and through these people, I declare to you, God acts in extraordinary ways. Perhaps not in manners producing lightning bolts, blinding lights, fireworks, or overwhelming feelings of abjective certainty or emotion. But God acts in extraordinary ways. 
I stand before you with one final proposition. Prayer, holiness, these are the most important things in our lives. The love, the prayers, the friendships, and the concerns of a parish family give us life. These things save us. These things heal us. These things make us whole. These things give us wisdom and understanding. These things give us a peace that passes all understanding. They invite God to act through us in body and in place in extraordinary ways. In ways that defy human logic, human reason, human understanding. In ways that are a mystery and yet real. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, do not discount the power of prayer and the power of holy places and holy people. Do not make light of the parish family. It is central and essential to our lives. Do not make light of what we do and what we are about. Do not discredit holy places and holy things. Rather, with all your might, Learn to pray without ceasing. Learn to make your life one of holiness. Hold fast with every fiber of your being to the fact that these things connect you to God. These things save your soul. These things save the souls of others. Be people of prayer. Be people of holiness. Let us pray together, you and I, that in our lives, in the life of this parish, our Lord will continue to work in extraordinary ways to save us, to heal us, to save all, to heal all who come in search of Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.